Hello, and welcome to Mama's Nightmare. Come join us as we talk about anything from moms that murder to family murderers, kids being kidnapped and or murdered, or even being killers, which are all a Mama's Nightmare. I'm Rhonda. I'm Alicia, and where is Dea? Okay. <laughs> we're a stay-at-home mom. I don't we're think we are. Home. Hello, and welcome to Mama's Nightmare. Come join us as we talk about anything from moms that murder to family murderers, kids being kidnapped and or murdered, or even being killers which are all a mama's nightmare. I'm Rhonda. I'm Alicia, and we are a stay... Oh my God, what is wrong with me tonight? We're not a stay home. Hello, and welcome to Mama's Nightmare. Come join us as we talk about anything from moms that murder to family murderers, kids being kidnapped and or murdered or even being killers which are all a mama's nightmare i'm rhonda i'm alicia and we are a mother-daughter duo giving you our spin on these nightmares from a mom's perspective today we're going to be talking about the Gro the grover cleveland elementary school shooting i'm rhonda a mother of two and a grandmother of four i work full-time for a well-known app i'm obsessed with true crime podcasts shows and documentaries. I'm Alicia, a wife and a stay-at-home mom of three who just started listening to true crime podcasts that like watching documentaries and thrill-seeking movies with my husband. I'm the one that suggested we start a podcast since we love to discuss these nightmares and of course I think people need to hear our opinion on them. But for today's nightmare we're going to be talk we're going to be going to San Diego, California to talk about the Grover Cleveland Elementary School shooting. Trigger warnings for this episode are going to include murder, school shooting, and child shooting. Thanks for joining us. Now let's grab yourself a bag of your favorite Chex Mix and let's talk about this nightmare. All right, so All right. we have quite a few places on our map now for downloads we are super excited about do you want to tell them mom uh well i know the two are from canada we got were from ontario and saskatchewan that's pretty cool yeah and those are all new. the different states um we got oregon we got connecticut and okay connecticut, uh, connecticut rhode and rhode island it's all the pink um, ones. Iowa. Pennsylvania. Yeah. Pennsylvania. Minnes uh, what is that? Minnesota? Michigan? No. No. Minnesota. Minnesota mm -hmm. and Oklahoma. And Oregon. Yeah. We are so excited. I love seeing this. I know. We got, We've like, got a, a colorful, lot of states. So much colors. Yeah. A lot of different states now. And now we're branching out into, into Canada. And Most I'm going to make an apology up front. <laughs> Let me make you an apology up front if you hear anything in the background. My cat is kind of going crazy. He's been climbing the chair while we're talking and everything else. And for reference, guys, I live in a tiny home, so there's nowhere to put him. <laughs> so he's just out here and he is wreaking havoc. And right now... I don't know if you're hearing that or not. He's jumping through a tunnel and it yeah, sounded like a plastic just, bag. It, it's a, it's one of those crinkly tunnels and he's okay. in it and he has some paper bags around too. And he's been in and out of those today. So it's so funny. My cats do not make life interesting. Stuff. My cats don't do this. My cats like lay around. If I could just get him to lay down. Oh, Every once if I could pay play. him to lay down when I needed him to. Right. He does this when I'm at work and on meetings and he's climbing the back of my chair. I've had leads say, uh, did you know there's a cat on your refrigerator? I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Felix. <laughs> exactly. 
What can you do? Oh, man. Oh, he's laying down for the moment, folks, so it might not be too bad, but... Um, you just never know when the spurt, when that spurt of energy is going to hit him, and he just goes crazy. Mm. All right. So, are All you right. ready to get started on this nightmare? I am ready to get. I am, and I'm just going to tell you this is going to be a tough one. Um, it was hard. It, it's hard. Um, it's not near as bad as it could have been. That's for sure. There was a lot more potential for a lot more deaths in this. So uh, there are, was a lot to be thankful for in that sense. But it was hard, it, and it is hard. And we're going to start with the shooting itself, and then we'll go back into the background of the person who does the shooting. Okay. Okay. Now, this takes place on January 29th of 1979. This was a crisp winter day. There was some frost on the ground, and it was just kind of a normal Monday morning. Kids had just started to arrive at the Grover Cleveland Elementary School, and the principal, who was Burton Rag, um, he had already opened the gates and, uh, for the children to come in. Now, he did this about every day, right around 8.15 or so, before school was getting ready to start so they could start coming in. And I think of this school was a super small school, okay? It's a tiny little school in this, um, it is the, um, let's see, what is the name of the area it is? Um, it's in San Diego, but it's in a small little uh, suburb area. And um, the name has left my thoughts here. I'm going to, I'll come back to it, but it's a small little area. And it reminds me of, you know, when you guys, when we lived, uh, when I lived down there and you guys went to school, it was a small little area and there was no buses coming in and forth. Everybody walked to oh, school yeah. or the parents dropped them off. It reminds me of that. I don't, there was nowhere that said that there were no buses, but I don't think that there were because there was no mention of buses dropping the children off. It was parents dropping the children off and the kids were walking to school and stuff. <laughs> And, yeah. and I totally remember this, there's that, only so. about 300. Yeah. You remember in how people end, always. There's only like 300. We're doing Go it. Go ahead. <laughs> We're having problems with the lag on uh, on this app that we're using to record. So I'm very sorry if it's a little bit off. Um, yeah, we're remote today. So that's another, that's part of the problem. Yeah. We, uh, you know how back in the day they would say, oh, yeah, I used to walk to school in the snow with no shoes on. Yeah, I did that. I had shoes Uphill on. all the way. But I did have to walk in the snow home. <laughs> okay, continue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that kind of reminds me what this is like here. They, um, the school only had about around 300 or so students so it's not big at all and so i think it's just kind of like a little community school so they're all you know within so many so uh and i want to say miles but probably not but like a square mile in it really so anyway it's a small school and the children most of them are all walking to school some parents are dropping them off and they must have started around 8 30 to 8 45 Okay. Um, so the principal, like I said, he'd already opened the gates down there so the children could come in and, um, he's back in the front office and he's chatting with a different, with a teacher who is the sixth grade teacher for, and his name was Daryl Barnes and they're chatting and drinking their coffee while the kids are arriving and, you know, they're in the front office and then they start to hear what sounds like firecrackers. Okay, so is this an elementary yes. school if it's sixth grade? Yes, it yes, it is. It's okay. uh, kindergarten through sixth. Okay, okay. Yeah. So then they start hearing these sounds, and other teachers are hearing these sounds of this, what they thought was fire, were firecrackers. And one of the teachers on uh, this documentary that I watched said, you know, she thought maybe it was some kids. The kids were out there with a, a new... Uh, toy they'd gotten for Christmas or something like that. Because remember, this is 79. Kids could take 
you know, pop guns and things like that. Well, you know, you had the little guns that had the little, uh, the little thing and they shot uh, like a tiny little firecracker and it did that pop, 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 yeah. pop, 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 pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is kind of what it sounded like. So they were, uh, but through the front window. Mm -hmm. They do say that um, yeah. like an actual gunshot does not sound like it sounds fake instead of the real thing. Like what you think it sounds like, it's mostly, it sounds like firecrackers almost. That's what right. I've heard. Right. And this is a, and I think it depends on the type of gun too and what is used. And we'll get into that in just a second and you'll know, okay. and, and we'll discuss that. Okay. So, um, as I said, the principal and Mr. Barnes were in the front office so they could see and he and Mr. Uh, they start hearing these firecrackers and everything. Well, um, the principal goes out the front door and Mr. Rag goes out around the side door because they're starting to see the kids are, are um, screaming and carrying on and so they're going to try and find out what's going on. Well, when he goes out, when uh, Mr. Barnes goes through the side door and he looks around, he sees that Mr. Rag is like bending over this kid that's on the ground. And um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Rag stands up and when he stood up and turned around, he fell into the bushes and there was blood on his chest. At this point... Mr. Barnes knows there's a shooting going on and all these children are out in the yard. So he's trying to get these kids to come in. And um, so they're trying to just herd these children in and he and some of the others. And um, he's yelling at the school secretary when he opens the door to call the police. And Michael Sukar, who was the custodian of the school. Now he is a, he was a veteran. And he's been through several wars and everything. He sees this. He's running to help Principal Rag. And as he's heading out, he himself gets shot, shot in the chest. And he dies right off the bat. No. This is yeah, And it's about this time when the police are... It is. It's terribly sad. And it's right around this time that... Um, the police are starting to arrive on the scene and it's only been, it only takes them about 10 minutes. Cause again, this is a small little community. And um, so it doesn't take long for things like this to get out. And um, parents have been dropping kids off at this time. So all this is happening. I mean, there's, I can't imagine the chaos of this scene that it started. And because like Mr. Barnes said, he's yelling at people to don't drop the kids off, go, you know, and, and they're just, they're like, get out of the car. You got to go to school. You know, they don't, <laughs> they don't realize that kids, kids screaming in a, in a, uh, in a schoolyard is not a sign of something wrong. No, it's normal. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's normal and running and screaming and carrying on. So, uh, the first, one of the first officers to arrive was a Robert Robb. And as he gets out of his car, he gets shot. This particular shot hits him in the neck and nicks his jugular vein, hits into his, he had on a, he had on a vest. So it hit, it knocked into his, um, shoulder blade and bounced and lodged into his spine. Oh my goodness. The <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was a, I mean, it was, you know, just kind of just hit him just right. Did he die? Okay. He did not. Okay. He had, he did survive, although he's, he's never been able to work as a police officer again due to this. Oh, yeah. <sighs> wow. Yeah. But as he would, he does remember as he's coming up the walk and, and running through there, he could see the children, children huddled up against a fence where they were scared and not knowing what to go. And apparently during this time too, inside the school, someone, and I don't know, maybe this was to get somebody there even faster, pulled the fire alarm 
Mm. Brilliant thinking because it goes straight through. Yeah. But for one thing, the one problem with this is the children are hearing the fire alarm, so they're not going to the school. They're trying not to go in because you've been told when there's a fire alarm, you leave the building. Yeah. And again, remember, these are these are elementary school students and they're trying to get them to come in, but there's a fire alarm going. So they're trying to get away from it. And so there's just a lot of chaos going on here. And uh, as more of these police arrived, they began to determine where the shooting was coming from. I mean, this is the problem. Nobody there wasn't like there was somebody standing there shooting. There wasn't anybody standing there. Um, they're just hearing shots and seeing people fall. And oh, so they still don't know where the shooter terrified. is. No, they did not know where the shooter was at the time. <sighs> but once all of these people arrived, um, they did find this out. And it was coming from the house across the street. So one of these officers took over a garbage truck that was out. I mean, it's a Monday morning. They're collecting the garbage. He grabs that, uh, the garbage truck, drives in front of the house to block the view of the school so that there's no more shooting going on. Smart thinking. It was brilliant because um, they did not capture the shooter for another six and a half hours. Six and a half so, hours? Wow. Yes. This person barricaded themselves in the house and, and would not come out for the next six and a half hours. So the amount of damage that could have been done was very minimal because the police presence was so quickly. But by the time that this had happened, and this was all in a, you know, they're saying anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes in it. Um, there, 36 rounds had been shot. Uh, two men were killed and nine other people were wounded. That was one police officer and eight children. Oh. Now, I'm going to list the, the victims' names and ages. And we'll go over that here. My mouse has disappeared. Sorry. Okay. Uh, the victims was... Burton Rag was our first victim. He was 53. He was a school, the school principal, and he was shot in the chest. He did die in surgery. Mike Sukar was 56. He was the school custodian. He was shot in the chest and died on the scene. Then we had Officer Robert Robb, who was shot in the neck. He was in critical condition. Now we're going to go to the names of these children. Now I have the cold chills already. Monica Selvig, she was eight years old. Um, she is the one that we believe, I've heard two different things. One was that she was the first victim and one that one of the little boys was. But um, she was shot in the abdomen and she uh, was in critical condition. We had Crystal Hardy, who was 10. She was shot in the wrist um, and the bullet went straight through. Apparently, she said she was she was hearing things and she turned. And when she turned and put her hand up, it went through her wrist. But it went directly through and it caused no other damage. So she stitched up and went home. Oh, that's good. Not that this was not terrifying. And, and not that it was not um, terrifying and it didn't change her life or anything like that. Because it did to this day. She still has problems. But... Um, Monica could remember hearing Crystal sitting there screaming and yelling, am I going to die? Am I going to die? Am I going to die? Now, she was only shot in the wrist, but again, she was 10 years old. She's and a baby. any of the movies that you see, she's just a baby. And any movies that you see, people get shot, they die. Yeah. You hear things on the news. This person got shot and killed. So, obviously, she got shot. She's afraid she's going to die. I mean, that's just heartbreaking. And then there was Cam Miller. Now, he was nine years old. And he's the other one that they say might have been the first victim. So, apparently, he and Monica were very close uh, 
shot very close together at the same time. He was shot in the back, but the bullet exited out of his chest. Um, and he was wearing a blue vest, like a down vest, because it was, again, it's in January, and it's in, it's in California. It was not cold, cold, but it was cool. So these kids had on thick jackets and stuff like that. And blue was the shooter's favorite color, so that attracted them to him. And then there was Julie Robles. She was 10 years old. She was shot in the side. And the bullet passed through. Luckily, it passed through without hitting any organs. So she was, um, again, I'm sure she was probably hospitalized for a little bit, but, but doing okay. And then there was Christy Buell. She was nine years old. She was shot once in the stomach and once in the back. She was in critical condition. She spent approximately six weeks in the hospital and about 18 months having to recover from this. And then there was Audrey Stiles. She was seven years old. She was shot in the elbow. But, now this, I can't, this is hard. She was, she had burns on both of her thighs where a bullet went straight between her legs and it burnt her on her thighs. Her sister was shot at, but she had a pen pouch in her backpack or something and it stopped the bullet. So she wasn't hurt from it, but they did find that she had been shot at. There was Mary Clark. Now Mary just, this is a sad, sad too. She was eight years old. She was shot in the lower torso. Now, Mary was so scared that they were trying to get people in and they were taking them into the auditorium because there were no windows in there. And so she just went with them all. She goes to her classroom and she goes with them and does all this. And it's not until after she's been reunited with her mother that her mother found that she'd been shot. She mother, The mother noticed that there was something wrong with her jacket zipper and everything. And when she looked at her, she found that she had been shot in the side. And they, of course, took her to the hospital. Now, they I cannot know. imagine. They didn't know. She didn't tell anybody that she was hurt. Oh, she, poor baby. I mean, I could not imagine this little eight-year-old little girl that was so scared that she couldn't even tell them that she was hurt. Well, and remember. It wasn't rem- until... I mean, now they didn't get these kids evacuated until almost noon. This was eleven. This is eight thirty. So this is another three hours before the before they get there. So she's been shot, and she's just been suffering for three hours. You know. Well, the adrenaline and there that was goes little, through. The adrenaline yeah. that pumps through and, you. And she, right at that moment, you're not so hurt, but. And, and she didn't, and she just didn't know what was wrong. And uh, then there was Craig Vernon, who was eight, and he was shot in the buttocks or leg area. So, that is our victims. And once they had the school, uh, the school blocked by this trash, uh, this trash, uh, garbage truck. The garbage truck, the trash truck. Yeah. They got in ambulances and started to transport these people that had been hurt. And they evacuated the 300 plus children to Pershing Junior High School so that they could be reunited with their parents. Now, it was around 1140 before the evacuation was completed. And now watching this and hearing some of these things and seeing these the articles from 1979, there were parents that were on the corner, on the opposite corner, where they, of course, they cordoned off all this area, but they're standing right there at this line where they can, wanting to know, where are my children? I've just dropped my children off. I've got three kids that I just dropped off. I've got this many kids. And they're hearing that kids are being carried off, and I'm seeing this, and I'm seeing that. And they're asking, who is the man that is shooting here, and what is he doing? Um, oh 
Now, it was like 1140 by the time the evacuation was completed. And in the meantime, all these parents had gathered around. Of course, the minute they started hearing about a shooting and things like that, and it, you know, when it gets out, there's a, there's a hundred, because there's a hundred officers at the school now. There are 20 different patrol units and there are 30 different SWAT team members there. So, you know, you... And again, it's a small community. These kids are walking. So, of course, they're seeing all this activity going. And then you start hearing word of mouth that there's a shooter or something like that. You are freaked out uh, and wanting yeah. to know what's going on. And there's media out there and all of this. And, of course, they're trying to get, uh, you know, they're asking people questions and what's going on. And, you know, mothers are screaming, I've got three kids. I've got a kindergartner in there. I've got a sixth grader. And. And people saying, well, I just saw them take out so many people and put them in ambulances. And they're worried that it's their child and they're freaked out and they're scared to death. And it's heard saying, why is this man shooting at our children in the school? And to their utter amazement, and that's exactly what I would be thinking too, is what's this man doing shooting? It was not a man but it was a 16-year-old girl that was doing the shooting. What? Yes. A 16-year-old. Is she, she was, supposed to be at school herself? She is supposed to be at school. But that morning, she told her dad, she lived with her dad in the house directly across the street, and she told her dad that she had cramps, and she didn't feel like going to school. So he said, okay, she was already dressed and ready, but he said, okay, whatever. And he went on to work as normal at seven o'clock that morning. So he had no clue as to what's going on because he's been out of the house already. Okay, well, like I said, there were all of these police officers everywhere and they've now determined where the shooting is coming from. So this officer is in the house. He's moved over to the house next door with a bullhorn trying to get her. And they're, and they're realizing that there's a girl and, you know, they've, I don't know if they had her name at that point, but, you know, they've got ways of finding out who's in, in all of that. And they're trying to negotiate with her to surrender and she's not doing anything. And he's over there. He said he's basically was just trying to an annoy her to get her to answer questions and to, and to answer the phone. And they had all of their, uh, their radios going real, uh, you know, all their police radios and everything. And she was trying to get them to turn it down. And so they were asking to, them to turn all of that stuff off. And she was answering the phones, but it happened at this point that um, she talked to two different reporters during her time of being, <laughs> yeah, Whoa, yeah, so she's talking to reporters while the police are trying to get her? Yes, they oh. are. Uh, yeah, <laughs> John Duncan of the San Diego Tribune. Yeah, of the John Duncan, who was a reporter for the San Diego Tribune. He was calling all the houses in that area trying to see if they knew what was going on. Oh, she you knew know, you what was going on. You get a city directory. <sighs> You can get a city directory and call. So he knew that the address of it. So he calls this one. And um, and I don't know that he knew exactly who he was calling at the moment. But he calls this one and he's trying to get any information. He says, do you know, have you seen anything? And she's like, she's giggling. Yep, saw it all. And he's like, uh, well, where are you at? And all this. And she says, 6365 Lake Atlin Avenue. And he's like, um, is it? that the address where the shootings come from and again she giggles and she's like yep it was me he's like why are you doing this he knows now he's got the shooter on the line <gasps> and <laughs> she says yeah that's it I just did it for fun and he said are you aware that you have killed three or four people and her response was is that all and oh, she said, no. oh, you know what? I got to. Yeah. She said, well, I just wanted to do it. 
I don't like Mondays and this livens up the day. What the bullfrog? Right? She then yells, oh, well, I got to go now. I think I shot a pig, referring to a police officer. She said, I think, and I want to shoot some more. Of course, we do know at this time it's documented that she made no other shots once they moved that garbage truck into the place and everything. But on her thing, so she's talking to these reporters and doing all this. And there was another reporter that she talked to. It, she spent anywhere from 20 to 25 minutes on the phone with her reporter. Uh, but there was another one that talked to her and she said, she, uh, well, the officer that one of the officers, when she's talking to him and he's talking to her, what'd you do and why are you doing this? She said she liked to watch them squirm when they were hit. And that at that point, she's referring to the children. Oh, no, and, no. And she said they were easy picking like ducks on a pond. What the crap is wrong with this person? This is just sheer evil. I mean, I cannot imagine. The 16-year-old child has this much evil inside of her to say such things and to do such things. She told the officer that she'd been drinking uh, that she'd been drinking all the, all morning and smoking marijuana and taking some barbiturates and uppers and downers all day. And um, all day. This has later been disproved. It was in the morning, and but well, now remember they. It is an all-day thing because it's not until three o'clock that they get her to surrender and come out. So, I don't know exactly what time she says all day that she's been doing it, but that's in the things is that she's been told. Uh, but it was disproven because there was nothing in her blood when she was arrested at the time of her arrest when they took her blood and did this thing. She, there was no drugs, no alcohol, no nothing in her system. She's just evil. He did, the negotiator did finally get her to surrender. Would you like to guess how? I don't think I want to know. Tell me, tell me. I'm hooked. I'm so hooked into this. I... They offered her a whopper. Like, have it your yes, way? Dear, a burger, a Burger King whopper. Okay, she'd come out. She was getting hungry and she wanted a whopper. If they'd get her a whopper, she'd come out. And she has no drugs in her system. But that's... A... No. So that's how they got it. Okay. It would make more sense, wouldn't it? It would make more sense, you know. All righty then. So she comes out and she there, there's two conditions. She wants a whopper and she wants to make sure that they're going to take her out in handcuffs. I don't think she really needed to make that stipulation. I'm pretty sure they were going to do that anyway. Pretty sure that but, was going to be the first thing they're going to do, baby Kate. <laughs> pretty sure they're going to put some something on you. Yeah. I don't think they're going to let you walk. Just <laughs> walk out all free. <laughs> right. Here, would you like? Which car would you like to get in? No. So, let me get you a limo. She brings right? out these two. Right, so she brings out these two guns and puts them on the ground. One is a twenty-two long rifle, and one is a BB gun. And she goes back into the house so that they can arrest her because she wants to be. Oh yeah, you know she's she wants this walk. She wants that perp walk. She wants the media to see all this. She's done this for this attention. Now, when they go in, the officer said they did find a like a half-empty whiskey bottle uh, in the house, and about 200 additional rounds of ammo. Oh, nice. So they kept were going. Oh, yeah. She could have went for a long time. And so this is why it was so important and such uh, that they had gotten there so quickly and uh, and that they got it stopped so fast because she could have done so much more damage than she did. Like I said at the beginning of it, it could have been so... It's horrible like it is. But had they not been there so fast and got it taken care of so quickly, it could have been so much worse. 
and when they come out with this this little girl she is about five foot one weighs about 80 pounds long red stringy hair and um pretty much with a smile on her face her name was brenda spencer we're going to talk a little bit about brenda now um yeah because i want to know about this girl and i'm going to have I'm going to have some very strong opinions on this, and I'm just going to give you some warnings right now um, about this because a lot of things she says and have done, and I just don't, I don't believe her. Um, okay, but her name was Brenda Ann Spencer, and she was born on April the 3rd of 1962 to her parents, Dot and Wallace Spencer. She had two uh, she had a brother and a sister that were both older than her. That's Teresa and Scott. And she does have a sister that we don't know her name, a half-sister that was born after she's already in prison. So we, But we don't know her name. Brenda's parents divorced when she was nine. That was back in 1972. And the siblings chose to live with their father. So the judge, not wanting to split the children up, had her live with her father also. So he has custody of all three children. Okay. Um, now, Dot says that, um, well, I don't know. Dot, I just don't like. <laughs> um, that bitter, not, uh, uh, that bitter ex. <laughs> yeah. She says that he got custody. He wanted custody of the kids because he was too mean to pay child support. This is all in the, uh, there is a, now, I watched a, um, it's on Amazon Prime. It's called I Don't Like Mondays. And um, they go into some background with, uh, they do some interviews with Dot. They do an interview and they do an interview, first interview ever with Wallace or Wally. Um, but when asked, she says that he was too mean um, to pay child support. And when asked, when they ask him the same question of why did he have it, he's very, very vocal about that. I mean, he's a very quiet man and never, you know, he's, he seems to be real country almost. And he's um, very quiet. And he says he's very boisterous when he's like, because I love my kids. I wanted to raise them. I didn't want to be without them. That's why he got custody of his kids. So I kind of lean towards him because he's so vocal about it. I kind of lean towards believing him and not her. Well, with the whole child, I mean, it costs a heck of a lot more than what just child support gives you. So raising all three of your children costs a heck of a lot more than just child support itself. So I don't exactly. see how that would be the problem for him. And back then... Child support literally was $25, $50 a week, maybe. I mean, they just didn't get much. So, you know, even in 1979 and 72, you're going to be paying more than $25 a week to raise those kids. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, so she says that that was what it was. But she says that he came to her and said, I want to move out. Uh, and if I move out for the next year... Uh, would you let me come back? And she says he had already rented an apartment and everything. And she says, um, she just kind of laughed at him and said, uh, and it took her about two or three days and she filed for divorce. But then again, he's the one that um, is raising these children. So he was in this apartment and it was a couple of years later. It took him a little bit and he bought this house right across the street from the school. Okay. So at, from Grover Cleveland. And so, uh, that uh, is where Brenda did attend some school. She did attend school there some. Um, oh, nice. So she knew the area. Years and stuff. Right. She knew the school. She knew the principal. She knew all of them. Okay. I'm sorry. Evidently, somebody's going going rubbing their engine. <laughs> I'm also hearing some kids uh, out here, too. So, sorry. I'm doing, we're doing this during the daytime. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, now, there is some disturbing things in here in that uh, we did find out that apparently when they were there, um, Wally, 
he worked for the um, he worked for the San Diego University in the audiovisual department, and apparently he didn't make a lot of money. He was buying this. He bought this house, and these. Uh, so when uh, they were first divorced, they first moved over there. Um, she and Wally, Brenda and Wally, shared the same room. Wally says they had separate beds. Okay. Brenda says that they shared a bed. And so does her, uh, Dot says that they shared a bed. And she says, well, I think it was just a mattress on the floor. And there are some different conflicting in that they're saying they had a room and some are saying that they slept in the living room. So I tend to think it was probably a three bedroom home. And he let the two older children have each have their own room. Brenda was nine. He could share a room with her. She's got her bed. I've got mine. And there we go. Um, okay. I still would have put the two girls in the same room, though. But I would have put the two girls in the room, too. But then again, we're not a man different. raising children. And this teenage girl saying, I don't want to share a room with her. Yeah. I mean, if it was just me so, and my kids, I probably would have just slept on the couch. Yeah. I mean, you do what but, you gotta I do. Mean, you do. And and so and and he didn't have a lot of money to go over and do all this. So again, I mean, I'm not gonna I can't fault his reasoning either. So um but he is uh it says that she he was in there she was probably there till about nineteen seventy six. By around that time the other two children had started to move out because they're older and they're moving on. And um, so she has her own room at this time of the shooting in 1979. And she's been there for a while. Um, Wally was a Navy veteran. And again, he worked at the San Diego University. And by all means, he was described by many neighbors and co-workers and things like that as a good man. He was a quiet kind of an introvert, never bothered anybody, never did anything, but he was a good man and that he's uh, known to have spent a lot of time with Brenda and his other children too. But he's apparently, she's the only one in the house at this point. He spent a great deal of time with her. And um, so I'm trying to decide how to put and how to say it and what order to go into. But um, at this time of this shooting, Brenda was on parole. So she had been in trouble already. Um, oh, in the early great. part of, right. And probably the, it was in 78 at the end of the school year, sort of, she had been in trouble uh, for a shooting at the Grover Cleveland Elementary School. Um, but no one was there. It was like on a weekend and she had went in with a friend of hers and they'd went in and they'd shot up a win some windows in there with the BB gun and they had vandalized one of the classrooms, pouring some paint around and stuff like that. And they took a few things. They did get caught. And due to this, um, she was pulled out of school for truancy and stuff. And she'd went to a reform school, but she also had a parole officer. The parole officer at the time had told them that they thought, uh, had told, uh, apparently he had called in Wally and Dot, and he had told them that he felt like she was suicidal and that maybe they needed to put her into a psychiatric hospital. Now, nowadays, this is not uncommon and it is not unheard of that you would go in. But again, let's try and remember this was 1979 and this was not something that somebody wanted to have done. Uh, it, this is something that would would follow you that you've been in this psych hospital for your whole life. So he, um, Wally said no. Well, I don't blame him because back then, yeah. I mean, they thought like they're just trying to mess with your brain and all that stuff. They thought it almost like people, witchcraft kind of pretty much. Exactly. It was just not. It was just not well known and what they would do and how they would mess with her and what would they get her to do. And when asked about this and to Dot, her response was, well, 
I didn't do anything about it. I thought Wally would take care of it. Good parenting. Good parenting. Wally said, right, she's a really great parent. She's a real good one. And when asked, when asked about it with Wally in the, uh, in the interviews, Wally said, well, I never saw that she was suicidal, but he makes a good point. How do you know if somebody is suicidal? Right. Generally speaking, they don't talk about it. And no, they he never saw don't. that. He didn't see that. He never thought of her as a depressed walking around, blah, blah, blah. I mean, she had a friend and she was, he had moved away, but they were visiting each other and seeing each other. And so she didn't have a boyfriend and she didn't have, but again, that's all school. And he was an introvert. It didn't bother him. How did he know that she's not just like him? Right. She was. She was fine. She was getting good. Her grades were fine at school. She had won an award um, for photography. She was doing, I mean, so I get it. I don't understand. I don't know how definitely that he would understand any of that either. So um, he had, he had refused to put her into a psychiatric hospital. Um, And then she went back, um, she spent her time at the reform school for what for her truancy. So she's back into school in uh, the beginning of 78, um, you know, the 78, 79 school year. She's a junior at Patrick Henry High School. Now that Monday she had, uh, she was not liking school. She was saying it was boring and stuff like that. But, and from her sister's point of view, Teresa said that um, she was somewhat spoiled by Wally and he took more off of her than he probably should have. And she was kind of mouthy and, all of that she'd talk back but he didn't take a lot of it he would put his foot down and and do such so um but that day she had told him that she was suffering from cramps and okay if you tell your daddy that you're suffering from cramps what is he gonna do oh yeah you can stay home (laughs) i'm sorry you can stay at home right and he's not got it down on a calendar that this is not really your time of the month you can do you know he don't he doesn't know he's just gonna be like okay uh i gotta go <laughs> starstruck you be good and out he goes <laughs> pretty much kind of what he did pretty much sounds just like a man <laughs> now exactly so when all this was happening the police of course called him and he's there during the uh during the uh, negotiation and everything he's with the negotiator and they got dot but now i'm going to tell you again she did not ever win a mother of the year award for certain she's makes the comment even on an interview i don't know that i could do this even if i'm on an interview i gotta know it sounds terrible i wouldn't say this about myself but in the interview she says that the cops called her she's watching at she was at work at the tory pines uh, at it was called Tory Pines, a park. It was a golf course type thing. And they had some kind of a, um, a tournament going on. And it was a big tournament at that time. And she's an accountant there. Mm-hmm. So she is, um, they call her. She had seen it. She said, we don't normally have the TV on, but they had the TV on. She saw the shooting going on. Now, first off, you see the shooting going on. Okay, I think my kid's in school, but it's right across the street. You know this school. As a parent, I'm kind of freaked out anyway thinking, is my kid was I want to know what's going on. She apparently is very unconcerned. She gets a phone call and the police say, we're coming to uh, we need you down here because this is, uh, you know, your daughter is the shooter. And we need you to be to come down here. And she's like, uh, I can't, I have a desk full of money right now. I'm counting money and I can't come. And they're like, I don't care what you've got going on. You're coming. And they had somebody come and pick her up and take her. So you're like, no, I got to count this. Enough, I got to count this really... cash first. Even though my I daughter's got some money going people. on. I got a money right. situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, the and you award. tell this to a, 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 right, you tell this to an interviewer 40 years later, and you seem to be okay with that, and laughs about it. We do 40 years later, she's saying that? Her unconcerned. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's, this like, is, it wasn't, like, right then. This interview then. happens, 
Okay. No, no. Okay. She still tells this story later on. She's apparently quite proud of the fact that she didn't want to go. Surprisingly enough, her being there wasn't a big help to the negotiators, and she did leave before they even got her out. Shocker. So, yeah. Shocker. She couldn't hold it off any longer. She needed to go back and finish her job. Yeah. Now, she says that she believes that Wally should be in jail and not Brenda, because Brenda's not a monster, and it's all her fault. It's all Wally's fault because he bought the gun for her. Okay. Oh, okay. We can't just skim past that. No. Um, but he wasn't <laughs> the one who shot anybody. So why wouldn't he, why would he go to jail? What? Because he bought a gun? Right. I'm sorry. He bought but... her the gun for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Know? Well, he bought her this gun. This it's called a 10 slash dot, uh, dot 22. I am not a gun person for so you know. It's a long rifle. It took me a little bit, but I did do a little bit of research on it. And apparently the 10, it had like, it held like 10 bullets at a time. So when she's doing this shooting, she had like 30, she had shot 36 rounds. So she had to do several different times of stopping and reloading this gun. This is probably part of the reason that some things that saved some of these people because she was having to reload. Um, thankfully, it wasn't, you know, didn't hold 50 bullets because it could have went Whew, a lot more. But Wally does admit that he did buy her the gun. He bought it for her for Christmas. But here's the reason he bought her the gun. He bought her this gun because on weekends, the two of them would go to the mountains and do target shooting. He was an avid hunter. And he spent time with his daughter. And he took her with him. And they would go shooting. And... Um, Brenda says, well, I, I asked for a radio and he bought me a gun, but her sister, Teresa says that that's not true. She was begging him to buy her this rifle for when they would go. So he bought it for her for Christmas and he bought her like 500 rounds of ammunition, which yes, sounds excessive. But again, they went every weekend uh, to go target shooting. And so that, that can go pretty quick when you're doing something like that on an on an all the time basis. Now the gun was stored in the house, but apparently he kept the ammunition in the van or something. And so the night before, he had asked her, he had asked she, sorry, she asked Wally for the gun, for the keys, and she said I'd left my. She told him she had left her jacket in the car. So he gave her the keys and didn't think anything about it. And when she comes back in, she's got this jacket and stuff in it. And she goes into her room. She had gotten all these rounds of ammunition out the night before. So she knew she was um, going to do this. She was She knew she was going to do this. She had also been... Yes, she had also... Apparently for weeks she had been plotting this because it had been like uh, several days or a week ahead of time. She had been telling people at school... And some of her friends that just wait, I'm going to do something big and I'm going to be on TV. So she was planning something that she was going to do and nobody knew what it was except her. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I don't even know. So that's why she wanted to make sure um, that uh, that they took her out in the um, in the handcuffs and all of mm -hmm. that because she had told everybody to look. I'm going to be on the. I'm going to be there. She wanted to make sure that the media was there and she was talking to the reporters when they would call and do all that because she was definitely into all that. Um. Now, so it was she like did plead guilty. Oh, yeah. this was She was doing this for this attention. For certain. Um, she, she was tried as an adult. She was 16 years old, but they did try her as an adult. Now, of course, it doesn't happen the next day that they, that they, they arrested her. She never left jail. But they did keep her in a juvenile detention facility until she turned 18. She did plead guilty, and the day after, it was the day after she turned 
18 that um that her court trial was and um so it was on uh, april the 4th of 1980 she was sentenced to 25 years to life um because she was on because she was 16 they would not uh, they could not uh prosecute her for and put her for the death penalty so okay. they did give her what they could which was 25 years to life um she was transferred to the California Institute of Women in Chino, California. Um, when she was in prison, she was diagnosed with epilepsy. Uh, they did do uh, some things, and she's found to have some front temple, the frontal temporal lobe uh, damage. They thought this was from a bike accident when she was younger. Um, and uh, But she has... She did receive uh, and has been receiving medication for epilepsy and some for depression since she's been in the prison. Now, as of 2015, she had been denied parole four times. Oh, wow. Um, when, she, yeah, when going before the parole board, she's claimed uh, that she was molested by her, uh, by her father and abused by him. Um, these claims have all been unsubstantiated and um, the parole board even commented and at the head of the parole board that was questioning her said, why have you never brought these claims up before? Um, and she's been in counseling in the prisons and, you know, in, in juvenile and all of this, she's been in this counseling and she's never brought it up before. But in 2015, all of a sudden she's crying and well, he molested me and every night. And it was, you know, just horrible things that she's saying. And, um, the board was not convinced and they denied her parole again. And I have to say that this is one of those things that I'm very strongly opinionated on. I do not believe that Wally uh, abused her. They did when they, it was around this time, I believe it's a 2016 uh, documentary. They, when they asked him, this first time he's ever been, and they tell him it's right after this parole. She's up for parole, which is why they had this. Uh, they were doing this documentary, and um, they tell him that she said this, and he's like, "Brenda, Brenda said this about me." I mean, he's just in total shock. He can't believe that Brenda would say such. Now, mm -hmm. I have to say, and in this parole board, they ask him about, they ask her about her father and, and all of that, and about her mother. And she says then she hasn't spoken to her mother in over five years at that point. So again, you know, mother of a year. Yeah. She's in, her, she's got them to give her a, uh, to rent her a hotel room and do a, uh, and she would do an interview with them, but she hadn't even talked to this, this, uh, this daughter for five years. And she's all, you know, blah, 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 blah. She's not a monster. She's my little girl, blah, all this other stuff. But, um, now Wally, on the other hand, has spent, she's been in prison from 1980 to 2015, right? Mm -hmm. So this is 25 years that she's been in or, 35 years that she's been in jail at this point has went every Saturday to see her. He oh, goes every Saturday to visit. And he says in the interview, you know, he goes up there. That's still my daughter. I still love her. He goes every Saturday to see her. Does he still go now after this knowing is, that she said that? Well, I did find out that poor Wally did die in 2016, and I kind of wonder if this didn't have a little bit to do with it. Oh, um, bless him. I'm sure he was brokenhearted, you know, after finding this out. But he was digging. Now, he did. it's not like she lived across, around the corner. He had a five-hour round trip to go see her every Saturday. So he had to drive two and a half hours, and you know, he had maybe an hour or two that he could visit with her, and then another two and a half hours home every Saturday to see this child who now this, and I say child, but this grown woman who now is going to say, because she wants to get out of prison, say, well, um, she's never shown any remorse at all for any of this. And she's like, but I was, I was molested. That's what was wrong. No, I don't get, I don't buy it. 
Well, I don't uh, buy it because you didn't use it in your with your lawyers in court to help get you out of this. Right. They could have put you in a psychiatric ward. You pled guilty. Exactly. They could have done so much with that had they known. And I'm sure that they were questioning her at that time. But she's now been in prison for 35 years. And I'm sure that she's hearing a whole lot about people that have been paroled. And she's not. She's already been turned down four times previously. I got to figure out something to get this parole. Because they're yeah. never going to let me out. Um. Well, they make mention of the fact, and again, she had a lot of quotes and things, and there was another one, and he's reading off a statement, and he's saying, you know, you did all this, and you shot at these kids, and you said they looked like a herd of cows standing around. Such easy pickings. And she does, at that point, say that, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't have any right to do this, and I, you know, the to kill those two men and to do that. No, she didn't have any right. And all because that she didn't like Mondays. Yeah. That's not so, very good. Um, good enough. There's reason, no good reasoning for, sure. for that. And there's nothing she's, uh, they did have, uh, some people have spoken out. Some of these people are speaking out at her parole hearings and, um, and, and, and saying, you know, and, and the prosecutor, the original prosecutor still goes back every time for her parole hearing. They do not want her out. Um, she, her next parole hearing was supposed to be in September of 2021, but she waived that one. And so she's supposed to be having one in 2022. So she is still currently in prison. Um, okay. And her next parole hearing... Uh, is supposed to happen no later than September the 9th of this year. Um, so I am going to try and keep up with that. I hope I can remember to keep up for that. I don't know that it will be on the news like it has been in the past. Uh, in San Diego, it does, uh, whenever she comes up for parole, it seems to be a big deal. But I don't know that it makes world news. So I'm going to have to try and remember that. But also, during this time, she uh, there is a song out called I Don't Like Mondays by a uh, it's called the Boomtown Rats. They were an Irish rock band. Uh, that same year, in 1979, they came out with this song that made a hit song. It was the only, I think it was like only their only song that ever made it as a hit. Um, so you can look that up and hear it. And it is played on the, um, on the documentary. But she is also, there's a Dateline, in, an interview that she does in 1993 that's she says that uh, she was on drugs and she was doing, and, and that's when she really goes into it and tells them that she was hallucinating. She thought that she was uh, shooting at combat people coming at her and that she didn't, I mean, she just makes up something to fit whatever she wants to make herself look better. Uh, there's nothing. That's again, there were no drugs, better. no alcohol, no nothing in her system. No. And she's trying to make an excuse for it. But there was no drugs, no alcohol, no nothing in her blood when they, at that day. So how do you think that people are going to believe you now when they're, you know, you're saying this and you told the police that then, but there's no evidence of that. So now you want me to believe, you know, 35 years later that your dad molested you and this is, you know, and that you're just all messed up. Or they want me to believe that she hit her head when she was nine and this is why she does this. And now, you know, no, no, I just don't believe any of it, but yeah. So I'm just going to say, this is going to be the end of it, but uh, of this and, there's a lot of information on a lot of articles out there, but it, it took a lot of reading to find all of these children's names. Uh, I was shocked. I thought I would find them all listed somewhere, but um, because it was 1979, there doesn't seem to be a lot of privacy then, but there is a lot, took a lot to try and find all of these children and what happened to them. Um, but you do hear from some of them in the, I don't like Mondays, um, highly recommend watching that it's on prime oh, for everybody that can yeah. uh, that can see it, it, it 
and we do have some pictures of her. Um, and I have, I think, I think there's a couple of pictures or a picture of them evacuating the children and things like that, that we've got to share too. That'll be on our Instagram. So. Whew, that was a doozy. <sighs> it was another doozy. So. Well, so I don't that know. I could us... not imagine being one of. Huh? Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, as far as the mama's nightmare, I just can't imagine being one of these mothers standing on that corner, not knowing what was going on with my child at an elementary school in this shooting. And then to find out that it was a, another child that was shooting at them. Um, I just, yeah, this is definitely my absolute but, nightmare to take my kids to school and then, <laughs> and then being called yeah. or even just seeing it yourself because you're dropping them off right when it's happening. Yes. And they do say in this, I don't like Mondays that she's the first school shooter, but that is a false. Uh, that is false. She is not the first school shooter. There was actually, uh, there are actually three documented school shootings before her, but she is the first um, female and she is the first um, mass school shooter. So. Oh, wow. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the episode now. All right. So that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you for listening to Mama's Nightmare. If you enjoy our show, please leave us a five-star rating and comment. We are on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcast, Audible, Amazon Music, and also on Samsung Podcast. Your comments can be anything, even just one word. It just helps us create an algorithm and gets our name out there. Okay, hit subscribe or follow so you don't miss out on next week's nightmare, where Alicia's going to be telling us about the murder of Elizabeth Olton. Now, we do have a Facebook and an Instagram at Mama's Nightmare Pod, where we will be posting pictures from each of our episodes. Also, if you have any suggestions on cases that you'd like for us to cover, please email us at mama's nightmare pod at gmail.com until next time this is alicia and Rhonda, and we hope you have nothing but sweet dreams bye good night